co-editor-in-chief of The Land magazine. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of The Land podcast. Um, This is an experiment we're doing in conjunction with our election zine, which just came out this weekend, hot off the presses. Grab a copy, order it on our website right now. It's 10 bucks plus shipping. I know I'm jumping right straight into like promo mode, but you know, we have no advertising and your orders support us. If you can't order a copy, you can pick it up all over town. Uh, We'll be dropping locations off on our Twitter feed. Um, and you know, we, we go into some backstory on the last episode of, of how we all started. A lot of us came out of LA weekly that, that publication got sold. We were like, all right, let's do our own thing. We're completely independently funded. Um, and you know, we write journalism about Los Angeles, the stuff that you're not seeing covered anywhere else. Um, so today on the show, uh, my co-editor-in-chief Jeff Weiss and I sat down with Spike Friedman. He's an editor at Knock LA, um, which is the journalistic arm of Ground Game LA, which is a progressive organization here in Los Angeles. Um, and Spike walked us through every single proposition on the ballot. <laughs> if you're wondering what the hell is going on with all these propositions, you are not alone. There's always a dialysis measure. There's a crazy prop on there uh, sponsored by you know Uber. You, you might be getting constant mailers like I am every single day. Saying that app-based drivers support it, uh, Spike is going to set the record straight. <laughs> We're all going to walk it, walk it through this. Um, so if you haven't filled out your ballot, stay tuned. If you have filled out your ballot, honestly, it's a great show nonetheless. There's a lot of stuff that I learned on this. Uh, also, some talk about Big Lebowski. Um, it's a great show. Stay tuned. Here we go. The there's so much that is on the ballot this time, and it's, it, it's very frustrating existing in California where our senators are, one is terrible and one is fine, and we don't have an impact on the presidential race once it reaches the general election because of the Electoral College, and it is just like incredibly frustrating and disempowering, but then we do have our cartoonish you know, state proposition system in our ridiculous county city divide where LA County is huge and incredibly powerful. And then there are 88 cities within it of which half the population is. So it's, it's just nonsense, but it does give us a number of places where we can have an impact, even when we can't really impact the nightmare national situation. So yeah, it it's the only thing that keeps me sane in an elect, election season <laughs> like this one. Um, so you guys just released at Knock LA, you all released uh, California, like a basically a voter guide to this whole thing, right? And we're, you know, we're all basically collaborating on this guide. The land is, you know, putting versions of this in print. Tell us about how this effort started uh, and how this all came together. Yeah, absolutely. So Knock exists as like a project of like a local organizing group, Ground Game LA. And for us, we saw, and it's similar to the land in that the in 2017, you have both uh, the rise of tin pot fascism at the national level. You have some pretty important local elections that got ignored in the wake of that. There was a huge city council election in 2017 that got like 10% turnout. Like Mitch O'Farrell won a five and a half year term, basically, with like 10,000 votes. You know, and like seeing that and then watching as as you guys actually had to go through LA Weekly sort of dissolve, it was like, oh, Mm. you know, 
we need to be engaged in this way. We need to produce material with a genuine journalistic lens, but also an activist bent that can help people sort of navigate the opacity of the LA political system. And so we've got like a team of folks who do like tons of research. We reach out to coalition orgs. We reach out directly to candidates to get them to be on the record on some of the key issues that maybe get ignored, things like housing and homelessness and how people want to engage with that, things like deplatforming or decertifying the police, things like that, and like put that all together into something that is digestible when, you know, most of the oxygen in the room is being taken up by Donald Trump, who's the worst, and Joe Biden, who kind of sucks, but, you know, we have to vote for him. (laughs) Right. And and Biden is sort of going along with this whole framing, the whole like Trump is just setting the tone for everything. So everything just falls into this same kind of I mean, like, to be fair, frantic energy. Biden loves the police. <laughs> like, that's, that's another problem. Like Biden can't get enough of the police. Like Biden, like definitely is the kind of guy that like did ride arounds at like four years. Old, <laughs> you know, and like just I mean, like. I mean, like, it's like sad that like, and it's sad like that's where like most of the country is where it's like, if he, if he, if he didn't defend the, like that's helping him is like Trump's inability to paint him as this kind of radical because everyone's like, oh, the crime bill guy. I don't think so. Like, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's funny, like sort of watching Trump talk about like Biden is on the radical left and it's like, oh, like that'd be cool if that were true, but it's just not, you know? Yeah. The only endorsement I've heard for Biden comes from like right wing propaganda <laughs> where they're like, he's in favor of the Green New Deal. He's in favor of funding the police. I'm like, honestly, who is this man? I'll vote for him. And then you look at him and he's just like, this like shrunken, he's like this shrunken head in a $3,000 suit, like just wired on amphetamines. <laughs> just like with a drawstring and, and you know just like <laughs> i'm having a good year <laughs> oh my god aren't we all 2020 keeps getting better yeah. um so so spike tell us about this process of putting it together because you kind of you know i know that your your intro to the estate propositions which i you know a lot of different writers have worked on researchers all of them independent none of them you know endorsed or supported by specific candidates um all of them have been spending time digging into these props right and the thing that i find sort of frustrating about you know like obviously love local media but i think it's frustrating in some ways and that some local media are sort of echoing uh or like regurgitating right like the campaign rhetoric that that these props are putting out right um, which which can be really misleading. And you talk about that when you when you write about these California state props is that like a lot of them are backed by millions of dollars, by huge can you know, they hire consulting firms to get, you know, signatures to get these props on the ballot. And a lot of them are really, really confusing. So how did you sort through the nonsense and, and figure out what these are about? Yeah, I mean, in some cases, like we had to like go to lawyers and be like, please read this and figure this out. Like, really? Like, yeah, there's one. I mean, I think it's Prop 24, which is about digital digital privacy. I believe it's 52 pages. It's it's ludicrous. Like uh, there wow. there are some propositions that are relatively succinct. Like I believe Prop 16 is like three sentences. It's just like repeal Prop 209. That's the one that would undo California's statewide ban on affirmative action. And that's pretty straightforward. Like mm-hmm. the ban on affirmative action is bad. You know, this will repeal it. That's great. But things like Prop 14, which is a, a bond measure around stem cell research, that is like organized and put forward by someone who would directly profit from it. Prop 24 creates like a whole new like digital privacy paradigm. 
and is like very complicated and confusing and like very difficult to parse out what's right or wrong. We like dug into it again. It was like multiple people reading it through. We got a lawyer to like look at it and deal. And we still are like the most tepid of yeses on it because it's just like over the course of 52 pages, it sort of nets out maybe slightly positive. Um, in some of the cases though, you know, you're talking about corporate money coming in and just doing something awful. And you just have to read the bill closely to learn about it. And I think the most egregious example of that is Prop 22, which would undo the part of AB5, which covers rideshare drivers, DoorDash drivers, Uber, Lyft drivers, and basically classifies them as employees and therefore entitles them to certain benefits and protections if they work enough for those companies. Now, Uber and Lyft and I think DoorDash, maybe like one or two other companies have dropped over $180 million into getting this, this just this part of AB5 repealed. AB5 actually has some serious issues with it that the legislature had to fix this year around freelance writers. You might have heard about that or like freelance actors where it affected the amount they can work for an individual publication. It was problematic. But the rideshare mm -hmm. portion of AB5 was the most important. And like, that's why AB5 existed. Prop 22 mm -hmm. doesn't just repeal it. It has a provision that requires a seven-eighths majority of the legislature to further amend the appeal. A seven-eighths majority, like, that's not like a thing in democracy. Like, you never require a seven-eighths majority. And this does, like, it, it is an egregiously anti-democratic bill backed by the largest ever spend in the history of, propositions in the United States. It is disgusting. And again, this isn't one that's that hard to parse, like Uber and Lyft are bad guys. But when you dive in, it's just so much worse, even than it appears on its face, and so much more problematic and anti-worker. And you just have to like get in there and do that. And like expecting every voter in the state to do that amount of research on, you know, yeah. all these props, all these candidates, it's too much. Right. And I think like, you know, the confusing thing about this too is, is not just like all the misinformation surrounding it, but also the fact that, uh, you know, it's being billed as this way for Uber drivers to, to earn a living, right? Like, let's not, let's not take jobs away from people. People are suffering mass employment. Like who's going to drive you to work? Who's going to pay your, like, you know, people need to pay their bills kind of a thing. Um, and so you have all of this kind of rhetoric that they've adopted from the labor movement. You have people like Mayor Eric Garcetti, who's been, you know, last month he was, you know, tweeting about, for on behalf of Uber, basically, you know, he wrote rideshare drivers deserve a good living and their service can be a lifeline for essential workers. So you have this whole sort of appeal to like support the driver, right? Um, and it turns out it's not actually in their best interest, right? Yeah. And it, it I mean, it's, it's actually, a. I genuinely believe if COVID hadn't happened, Prop 22 would be flying through comfortably because something that Uber and Lyft and DoorDash have done is like basically make it so you have to click yes on 22 to use their app right now, which is. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It is yeah, next level. It's like level. they do propaganda and like Uber and Lyft have also started doing this thing where they're like trying to make it like, oh, we can give you this ride sooner. It'll only cost you $75 to go three miles. It's a great deal. <laughs> and like they're. Yeah, they've been they, – and if they're hitting the consumer that hard, imagine how hard they're hitting drivers. Like like I yeah. I got bombarded by a driver about 
you know, his fury about like being able, unable to work and like how he likes, you know what I mean? And it was like, it was kind of a Stockholm syndrome kind of thing. I'm like, well, like, I don't know, like, I guarantee you these companies could like chip in on the healthcare. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. at the very least, like, I don't know. I did like a thing for like Uber a few, I mean, well, <laughs> like whatever, let's, Jen, we can just talk about the fucking Uber. Do you remember when we had our meeting with the Uber magazine guy? <laughs> yes. Let's just talk about this shit. Fuck it. I don't care. So this motherfucker, I don't even remember his name. He was so stupid. Honestly, this guy was like an anthropomorphic boat shoe. Like, like I just see him as like a flashing khaki pants in my eye. And we, we waste a fucking, like, I hate taking meetings with people because obviously you're taking a meeting with someone. I just, even the semantic taking a meeting, that sounds awful, but it's like, okay, we're an independent print magazine. Sure. So we, we take a meeting with this guy. And he's like telling us about his like LA local culture magazine. He's trying to be sponsored by Uber, and like clearly Uber's spending a million dollars on this. Like it's it, he shows us like what they did for DC. I guarantee nobody read it. It was not good, and I think they had one for Seattle. And they're spending millions of dollars. I'm like, you know what would be nice if you did with your money? Healthcare. But ba- basically, like they're trying. They he was like trying to grift us into giving us all the land writers so they could get paid to write for an Uber magazine. We're like, yes. uh, how about you sponsor yes. an independent culture magazine? That's authentic. Yeah, I mean, it was like set up as a, it was set up as a meeting for like, oh, I'm really interested in what you guys are doing. Like, yeah, I want to like support you, and we we're like, all right, this, this sounds sketchy, but like, sure, let's do it. Like, we'll we'll take all the fucking meetings we can get if someone says they want to fund independent journalism. Like, all right, we're interested. Um, and then it turned out to be a meeting where it was like, oh, actually, we just want to poach your writers and get people who know Los Angeles and know culture and to write for a corporation. And I was kind of like, ah, uh, like, like, you know what? I'm all for like writers earning money and like doing what they have to do, like do your hustle and make your money. But like just the way that this particular meeting went down was just really kind of gross. Yeah. Like this, like this, like walking white privilege, like looking at the LA river being like, this is quaint. Is this the ocean? Wait, no, I think he called it like the LA canals. It was like, yeah. Like like, a, yeah. Kind of like a Venetian vibe. Yeah. I was like, the winter time, we can throw you in there. <laughs> but yeah. Well, I think I think this actually speaks directly to what the deal with Prop 22 is, which is it is less expensive for Uber and Lyft to run this like outside media campaign and run these political campaigns than it is to actually provide for workers. Because Uber and Lyft's whole business model is we're going to bleed money while we still need drivers and we're going to invest in driverless technology. And eventually we won't need workers at all. And we will have a monopoly on taxis. Like that's the whole business model. We all know that. So it is less expensive for them to just dump money into these political campaigns in a, in a magazine or whatever, spend $200 million on that rather than being good employers. And that's messed up. That's bad. Like, we need that to not be true. We need to live in a world where that is not what's up. And we don't. And it's very, I don't know, it's, this one is particularly egregious. And if this works, and it's polling at like, I think it's polling at like low 40s, yes, high 30s, no, with tons of people who self-identify as liberal as undecided. So, like, this is going to come down to the wire, and it's going to come down to who wins the earned media campaigns, and they've got $180 million, and, like, what are they going to do with that? Like, it's, I don't know, it's a very wild situation that I don't think we've seen before. Um, Nothing, I mean, like, we kind of saw it 
with Prop 10 and the landlord situation last year, but that sort of fits into the larger paradigm of housing politics in California and the corporatization of that. This is a fresh hell where they are going to undo what the assembly has done for workers in the name of a specific industry that will in the long run screw over workers. And that's, I don't know, man, it's dark. It's dark and we need to win this. We need to get no on 22. Like it is a must. Well, like the problem is, I think it's a, it's very confusing to people, right? Like, and also, okay, AB5, kind of a poorly written bill. Absolutely. Like, oh, absolutely. It screwed over a ton of freelancers. So you're coming in with terrible PR off AB5, which like nearly torpedoed freelance journalism. And like, yes. look, I agree. I like, obviously everyone agrees with the sentiment, but I mean, everyone like progressive does agree with the sentiment, but you're like, A, that was a poorly worded bill. And... I mean, look, I don't think you can actually negotiate with Uber and Lyft. I think they're kind of terror. <laughs> they're kind of terrorists. I think they're yep. like, they might be this, to- is, this is electoral terrorism. Yeah, they might as well be George Pullman and company. You know what I mean? Like, it's like they're, they would shoot the strikers. But um, I do think it hasn't been. Pro- I'm like, I mean, right, it's the same thing with Trump and his taxes, right? These are companies that are presenting huge, massive losses. Think if you really think about it, what are the losses on? They're just apps. You know what I mean? Like that means that these are companies that are spending like drunken sailors. Like you don't actually have any overhead for Uber. Like they don't buy the cars. They don't pay the, they don't pay for the gas. Like they're an app. Like how much can the app cost to like maintain? Like that should be like, those should be like the most profitable companies in America, but somehow they're hemorrhaging money for reasons like this, for the fact that they're spending it on magazines. They spent they must have spent $10 million. Like, that magazine was like no drop in the bucket to them. No, that's what I'm saying. Like, at South by Southwest last year, I mean, I look, I took the check. Don't get me wrong. But I hosted this panel. And like, I mean, I was the drop in the bucket because I was like hosting a panel with Roy Choi. And it was actually really cool. Like, I can't lie. But like, they had Billie Eilish performing at the Uber house. Like, how much did Billie Eilish? You know, like, they must have spent 5 to $10 million on a yeah. fucking Uber house at South by Southwest. Like, yeah. come on. Like, you can't pay your workers health care, but you can spend money on, like, like the band Cults to get paid $500,000 or whatever. <laughs> like, give me a break. Well, and they've also been dumping all this money into YouTube and television ads. Um, I haven't seen this ad yet, but Spike, tell us about this ad where it's like a Maya Angelou quote. <laughs> like, what, what is going on? That, I mean, you said it. It is a ad with, uh, with the driver who, and it's, under, it's got a Maya Angelou quote underneath it in support of Prop 22, in support of hurting workers. It is, I, it's shameless, it's egregious, and again, this is a calculation that they are making that they can get away with this. And not only can they get away with it, but they can permanently entrench these protections, make it impossible for the state to undo this sort of thing. Like it, it it's so undemocratic. And, and, and there's so much of this when you look up and down the propositions this cycle, there it, it gets really tricky. Like there's some really like there are some there's some much trickier ones than this gross one that is like pretty egregious. Um but I think just like up and down, there are some very confusing and, and difficult ones. And to me, the most confusing and difficult one is Prop 25. And knock is a no on Prop 25, which is very difficult for us. Um, mm-hmm. But it's it, it's difficult in a way, but it's not difficult in another. When I talk about us consulting with folks, one of the people that we go to is someone with the Public Defenders Union. 
uh, because that is a perspective that is underrepresented in the state judiciary. It's underrepresented in the conversation around what we need to actually get people free. And part of the strategy around getting people free has been repeal cash bail. Bail bonds as an industry is super duper gross, and it's sort of easy to get people on board with repealing cash bail. That said, in this specific case, the alternative that is being presented, and this is actually an assembly, this is this is similar to Prop 22 in that this is going off of an, uh, a state legislative action, and it is a situation where the vote for Prop 25 is actually to affirm or not affirm a state legislative action. Anyway, the alternative they put into place <laughs> is essentially algorithmic policing. And it is this sense of like, there will be threat assessments done via a formula that will be able hmm. to keep people in jail indefinitely. And in a situation where cash bail is bad because it, it creates a burden to get people out, if there's no way to get people out, that can be much worse. And when you talk about these sort of algorithmic systems that assess people's threat in a way that is quote unquote objective, these systems almost inevitably end up baking in systemic racism due to the histories and data sets that they draw on where policing has been systemically racist. And so Prop 25 is a situation where it is good to get rid of cash bail in a vacuum, but in this situation, it could get people less free. And the public defenders came out hard against it. And, you know, we kind of have to respect their expertise. If they are worried that they're going to have people who will not be able to get out of jail at all for relatively insignificant crimes based on racial profiling, that is a huge, huge problem. And so for us, you know, we landed no on repealing cash bail, which goes against, like, obviously we want to get rid of cash bail. So again, like these, and we end up on the side of the bail bonds industry, which is terrible. We don't think of it that way. We are not on the side of the bail bonds industry. We just happen to be on the side of getting people free. And so are the bail right. bond people this time. It, it, it's a little bit of a ramp because like, I hate that we are on the same team as them, but Again, like deferring to the expertise of the people dealing in this field, we kind of got to be. And it's a bummer. This one's a real bummer. Also insane. Like, can you imagine? <laughs> like, uh, sorry, you can't have freedom. The computer said no. <laughs> like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, it, it's so dark. Although, to be fair, going, going uh, into the L.A. County criminal justice system, like, you're almost better off with a computer than half these judges. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but well, like, it's like it's not like I don't know, we're the the dumbest people on the planet. Like it's like it's not the computer. It's like yeah, sure, I really trust what the LA County sheriffs are going to enter into the computer to get the results, exactly. or you know what I mean, or whatever the LA County prosecutors enter in. They're like, well, you live in this neighborhood and you have eight friends that are in this gang, so therefore you're a high risk, so you can get out <laughs> too. Like, right, cool, sick. That is exactly the issue, and. Yeah, we all know. And it's just like, oh, God, why can't we just repeal cash bail and replace it with yeah. not that? You know, like, uh, who wrote this, by the way? Like, a computer? so, well, okay, so it's actually interesting. <laughs> the state, the state legislative bill on this was going to be better. And it got late in the game, gotten amended to include this algorithmic component. 
in order to get labor backing. And part of that comes down to SEIU represents the probation officers and they're really powerful. Ooh. And so this ends up coming down to, and, and whatever the, one of the, one of the, and this is like a little outside of my personal wheelhouse, but I've, I've had enough conversations around this that I'm familiar with the issues. Um, but like one of the issues here is that who gets to determine what is a threat, who gets to set those systems is limited to a very select subset of like organizations and one of them is probation officers so this is hmm. a situation where this is a way to like get rid of cash bail that per, that like gives more work to unionized probation officers but like that ain't great like of all the unionized employees we want to support i don't think probation officers and sheriffs is at the top of that list so you know again it's like this got done in like sort of a backroom way at the state legislature. And it happened to kill the cash bail industry, which is why this is even on the ballot at all. But it also happened to be something that in the moment this legislation was being passed, a lot of groups like Justice LA, like the Public Defenders Union, like a lot of these groups turned on this bill and had to start pressuring representatives to vote against this in the mm. moment. So this isn't just us being like retroactive on this. This is an organizing effort that goes back to how this bill got amended in the legislature. Again, we're like deep in the weeds on this, but I kind of want to be because like, I hate having to be the guy who's like no one repealing cash mail. I hate it. And so I feel like I need to explain all of it so that people aren't like, what is wrong with this dude? We don't want it. Like, you know what I mean? Anyway. Anyways, well, now that we're now that we now that we've endeared ourselves to the cash bail sponsors, <laughs> <laughs> if you're out there, Aladdin bail bond sponsor the land. <laughs> we got a big bill coming up at the printer, so uh, you know we'll take your help. Yeah, we're yeah. We promise we won't kill you till next legislative cycle. Um, <laughs> so one thing, I just have a question. I'm looking through this um, uh, voter guide. Why is there always a kidney dialysis related measure on the ballot? I don't understand. Can you unpack this? <laughs> it's another part of SEIU, strangely. Is SEIU, it? Okay. Yeah. They are trying to get in a situation where they can better organize kidney dialysis workers. And in this case, they're tying it to a certain set of rights around patient safety, some like corporate reform around it. This is one that's like, uh, again, this is, it, it's, a, it's complicated and it's sort of a compromise bill this time. It's when where we came down, yes. You know, we talked to some patients' rights organizations that support this. You know, it's it's one that I don't know. I like like it's all about like the right to organize in these shady dialysis companies. And at the end of the day, we want that. Like we do want these sorts of workers to be able to protect their rights and protect patients' rights. And mm -hmm. these kidney dialysis companies are these massive corporations that really want to destroy these sort of labor organizing efforts. And so for us, we are a, you know, we don't love Prop 23 by any means, but like, you know, it's a net positive. Also, it might lead us into a world where we don't have this on the ballot every time because this is like <laughs> a weaker version than the one that... So like it, the dialysis companies might not immediately come back and throw something out. You know, we want to be free of the electoral rigmarole of the kidney dialysis yes. companies. So we vote yes. We need to liberate ourselves from them. Okay. Um, so, so one of the props that I'm looking into for the magazine that I think is honestly one of the most important on this entire ballot is Prop 15. Yes. Um, 
And the thing that I, that really like struck me about this, the reason why I was kind of like, whoa, there's a whole story I need to dig into is just the fact that, you know, for 40 years, you know, activists have been working to basically repeal Prop 13. Um, this is something that passed in 1978. That was part of this whole like Howard Jarvis tax association, right? And it kind of passed as this measure where, um, you know, it was billed as something to like, uh, help like low income seniors, right? And, like lower their property taxes in the middle class. And of course, like the effect that it ended up having was that it just saved corporations tons and tons of money, right? Because corporate property doesn't keep getting reassessed all the time as much as residential. And so now you have, you know, Disneyland, you have Intel paying their property taxes at like 1970s rates. Um, our school system, you know, is basically went from being, you know, one of the best in the country to being one of the worst as an effect of this. And so the thing that I'm really interested in about Prop 15 is that, in a sense, it would repeal Prop 13, which is this tax, uh, you know, this tax bill, um, restore funding. But I love that this whole effort to put Prop 15 on the ballot was this totally grassroots, grassroots coalition of activists. Um, they've been strategizing on this for years. They were going to put it on the ballot in 2016. No, they, you know, went went back to the drawing board 2016, like whole time, just making sure they had support, making sure it was well written. Um, and they ended up just putting it on, getting enough signatures. They got 1.7 million signatures, I think in April, which is more signatures than any ballot measure ever to get it on the ballot. Um, and it happened right before the pandemic, right before everything shut down. It was all just like old school knocking on doors. Um, and this is something where like, and initially like the governor, you know, didn't endorse it, wouldn't give them their blessing. And finally, just last month, Governor Newsom was like, all right, I'm in for this, which kind of shows like the support is there. So it's a tax bill. It, I think like it's something that's sort of boring on the surface because people hate talking about taxes, right? But like is so, so important and like is due to the work of so many different activists. Yeah, this this I think is I think you're right to flag this is probably the most important. And it's more important because of the pandemic. I think mm-hmm. that because of the sort of shortfalls that California is going to face on its budget, if this passes there will be new revenue streams for the state and they can phase them in. You know, like there's a lot of fear mongering right now from corporations is they're seeing the polling on this. The polling is, this is leaning past right now. And Prop 13 is incredible, right? Yeah. Prop 13 is historically, you know, it's called the third rail of California politics. Like you cannot do anything to it. And yet we are. And this, you know, look, I, I would want, full-blown Prop 13 repeal. Prop 13 has entrenched a generational wealth divide in California and created tons of incentives around home ownership that functionally commodify property in a way that is, I believe, fundamentally part of what has created our housing affordability crisis. That is part of Prop 13, but that's a more controversial stance. As you're saying, like, if property taxes are allowed to go up unabated, you can end up in situations where elderly homeowners are on the street. That's what was happening. That's why the tax revolt was able to succeed. That's how they were able to market it. And so, you know, it is this more complicated situation. There's nothing complicated about split rule, like corporate taxation, like we need to tax these companies for this. And if like that, like we need to do it, like Disneyland, they're paying like nothing and they're making all the money in the world. And like, mm-hmm. Disney studio, like, like you look at who's winning from this, it's Chevron, it's Disney, it's these huge companies that are essentially sucking the marrow out of California, leaving our education system shamefully underfunded. And, you know, 
I think you I think you highlighted all the right points and it's made even more important because of the pandemic, because of the budget shortfalls we're going to be facing. This not only fixes a historical injustice, but it helps solve the crisis. If we know we have this revenue stream coming, you know, we can like borrow more to get us through this crisis with, without laying off as many people, without denting our education as much as we would otherwise. If this doesn't pass, it's going to get dark. Things are going to get really, really dark. And so I, I, yeah, and it is it, it, it doesn't feel once in a lifetime, but it does feel like, man, everything is built to this. You're right. Like the effort to write this in a way that it can be mm-hmm. quickly and like safely in like a weird way implemented, non-disruptively, not hurting the wrong people, definitely hurting the people who can afford to be hurt by it. like it's it, it's yeah. such a home run that I, I'm just so excited to see the polling data on it not be catastrophic. And I'm so excited to hear people like get worked up about this. And yeah, it is grass. It rules. You're right. I'm just as excited <laughs> as you. Like this is like, like mark this first. Like you get your ballot. You want to do other research. But like before you even do, like yes on 50, like just do it. Just do it. Just mark it now. Yes, totally. And it's something where like, honestly, you look at these props and like so many of them are funded by giant corporations who raise millions of dollars to have, you know, you look at prop 22. Right. Um, but I think when you look at prop 15, you're like, Oh, this was totally community organizers. You know, there's a nonprofit called community calls that was super active in like developing a whole strategy around it. And I'm just like, damn, that's really cool. They did this. Like they put this on the ballot and like that in and of itself is a feat. I think it's just a matter of people like, all right, time to vote. Yes. You know? Yep. Yeah. And it's part of a suite of housing bills. So, you know, there are three big ones. It is 15, 19, and 21. 19 is another Prop 13 reform. And this one's really complicated. Um, But we're a net no on it. And it's because, so it does two things. Do we want to get into Prop 19? Yeah, why not? I don't know. Tell us about Prop 19. Heck yeah. All right. So we all remember, or maybe we don't all remember. The only times did like an expose on the way in which Prop 13 lets rich people keep their Prop yeah. 13 benefits when they inherit a house. It's like the it was Jeff Bridges was the guy who's like That's he's got some okay he's got some house in Malibu. It's like the Lebowski bill. Like he's got some house in Malibu uh, that his dad owned, and he rents it out for like six grand a month, and he pays like two hundred dollars a year in property taxes on. You know Sorry. something? It's, not, not mad at Jeff Bridges getting what he wants. Well, well <laughs> we should. We should be. Well, but like, be like, mad at the system that allows Jeff Bridges to do this. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Like, Jeff Bridges is doing fine without, like, you know, he could pay an extra five he to ten grand a year. The Bo Bridges. He has yeah. earned it. <laughs> Jeff, he did. Jeff, we can't make exceptions just because we love the Bridges. Look, I'm a pro Bridges guy, but we need to take their money and give it to children. <laughs> anyway, this would close that loophole. And that's a good thing. But what this does is it opens up another loophole, which increases portability. It basically makes it if you are an old person in California, you can keep your Prop 13 benefit if you move anywhere else within the state, including into like a more expensive house. So you can basically like sell your house where you're paying like, you know, you you bought it for 40 grand in 1974. Now it's worth 1.6 million. And you'd be like, well, I'm going to sell that, but I'm still going to pay the property taxes on whatever I move into next at that like original assessed level with the 1% interest. Right, right, right. And on net, that will have a larger financial impact. And it frankly, cre- it, it, it further exacerbates this generational wealth divide in California where, you know, we're all, like, like try to buy a house. Like, like if you're under yeah. 40, 
go try and buy a house. Uh, you can't unless you have right. like inherited wealth or a job at a big bank. Like it's it's a brutal housing market out there. And what this will do is artificially inflate prices. It's backed by real estate agent money. Like this is put on the ballot by real estate agents. And they were basically like, ooh, this Bridges thing sucks. Maybe if we <laughs> leverage that, we can create a situation where we can artificially create higher real estate prices and more real estate transactions. And on net, you know, again, this does do one good thing. But for us, it's like, ah, oh, the, other, the other thing it does is a net negative. We would love to live in a world where there's just a proposition repealing the Bridges exemption. Um, so, you know, I, I'm sorry, Jeff. I want to stick it straight to Jeff Bridges, Ooh. but this is too much to to get that done. Yeah, that, the real downer. It turns out the Big Lebowski is actually a conservative. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just gonna say, look, the Big Lebowski rents. You know, he's getting he's getting harassed by his landlord all the time in the movie The Big Lebowski. Which is, you know, it's a segue to Prop 21, which is an easy yes. Yeah, vote yes on Prop 21. I don't know. It, uh, it's a repeal of Casa Hawkins. It's less aggressive than Prop 10 was. It maintains certain rules. It's basically like you can't apply rent control anywhere in the state for buildings, but within 15 years of them being constructed, whereas currently Costa Hawkins makes it where you can't do it with a fixed start date of 1994 statewide and 1978 in LA, this would make it a rolling 15 years. So like if you live in new construction, yeah, you don't get rent control benefits for the first 15 years. But then after that you will, it just means that the, it doesn't disincentivize creating new affordable housing. You know, it's just like, this is a straightforward adjustment to prop 10 to make it better. And it's polling way better than Prop 10. And I think part of it is landlords dumped so much money into fighting Prop 10 and they were able to make a lot of noise last time. This time they're getting drowned out by Uber money and they're getting drowned out by our nightmare presidential election. And I think people are starting to like take this rent control conversation on its face and like be like, wait a second, especially with this wave of evictions coming potentially in the wake of COVID protections for renters going away. It's like, oh, we need this. Like, we need to be able to do more. This will let us do more. It's great. I don't know. It's great. And uh, if you live in Culver City, vote no on B so that you get rent control. If you live in Burbank, vote yes on RC so you get rent control. Look, we love rent control. I love rent control. Because all these rent control is like soft rent control. It's just like, it isn't the sort of rent control like there was that like messed up New York's housing market in the like 50s. It's like, this is all third wave rent control. And look, I don't want to get into all the waves of rent control, but this wave is like not so onerous for developers and landlords that it prevents housing production. So anyone who says it is, it's lying to you. Or or they're like exaggerating. So anyway, I don't want, eh, 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 guys, eh, yes, I'm 21, come on. All right, you sold me. <laughs> Great. <laughs> You you and the Big Lebowski. Eighty-five year old, like like a Lower East Side Jewish man. <laughs> well, if you're talking rent control, that's how, that's who you have to channel. You're like, ah, oh, my tenement is being taken over. <laughs> <laughs> as the, look, as the child of one New York Jewish woman, you gotta you gotta support the rent control. Yeah, what do you hey, same. Yeah, I want I want affordably priced shtetls, and I want them now. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. We laugh, but this shit is like too real. Yeah, I know. I'm like, oh. I'm just like, yeah, they're they are gonna be like bulldozing my tenement like a month from now. We'll see, you know.
Um, but anyway, vote for this. What else is, so we've gone through almost all of them. There's a few more props that are a little wonky, but we should, you know, maybe you can give us sort of like a, a quick summary. One of them is Proposition 14. Ugh. This is a super, super, super weird one. Uh, so you know, weird. You say that you, um, so, so it's about stem cell research. Just tell us, tell us, you know, give us your quick pitch on why this is a bad prop. Yeah, it, it, it's a lot of money for stem cell research. It sort of renews an existing program around stem cell research. Here's the thing is that stem cell research is no longer illegal the way it was when it was funded that, that first time by California. And this is a lot of money going in ways that doesn't have oversight over it in a way that members of like the stem cell research board, which is like a thing that exists in California are like, wait, we don't even like how this is, is written. It's not necessary. And it's a lot of public money going to what ends up being private gain. Like if there's innovations and patents developed from this stuff, it's not like the state is going to own those. That's going to be private companies that own them. So it's kind of just a bummer and it's not necessary the way it used to be. Stem cells just aren't as controversial as they used to be. So why are we throwing billions of dollars at this if we're not going to get a direct benefit? Is that, you know, again, this isn't the hardest no, this isn't 22, you know, but like, eh, I don't like it. I'm gonna, I need to get like your sound effect. I'm going to hear that in my ear every time I'm like looking at the ballot. Eh. Yeah, yeah, there are lots. Oh, there's so much of that. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, so, so what's a, let's see, what's another no? Uh, proposition. So Proposition 20. Whoa. 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 And t- tell us why. 20 is, um, it undoes a lot of good criminal justice reform that has happened in the state. And it's being, so it's both like, takes a lot of like wobbler sort of crimes and makes them felonies again, which is going to increase carceration, which is a real bummer. Um, You know, this is the sort of stuff that like George Gascon passed in the first place or like supported. And then like, Hmm. now they're going to undo that. Gascon, look, I'm supporting for DA, but it's not like he's an abolitionist. It's not like the stuff sure. that, you know, so the stuff that's getting undone here is pretty like straight down the line, moderate criminal justice reform. So this stuff, like this sucks. And then the other thing it does is it like adds more people to the state's like DNA database, including like shoplifters. So this is actually weirdly getting backed by Albertsons and Walmart because it's like going to disincentivize shoplifting in an egregious way and it's like what are we from, like, doing people who are shoplifting from grocery stores you know what <laughs> yeah. i mean like these are not the people we should be targeting no exactly so this is just one that's like criminalization for the sake of criminalization which is exactly the sort of thing we should not be doing in this moment and i think relatedly too so so prop 17 uh your your endorsement is a, is a yes on that um and, and you know it relates to people who have felony convictions like this is something that i wasn't aware of previously is that like if you have a felony conviction you're released from prison you do your time you're on parole you still can't vote until you're you've completed your parole which could be years you know sometimes it's three years sometimes it's five years could be 10 years um and so like that is a form of voter suppression um prop 17 would give people on parole um the right to vote is that right Yeah, exactly. It's a step in the right direction. And I feel like a lot of states are sort of phasing in reenfranchisement in this way where like some states don't let you do it at all after you've had a felony conviction. Some do once you've gotten off parole. You know, this is just like one of the steps on the path towards full enfranchisement. And, you know, in some states you can vote while you're in jail. California is not there yet. California is currently like, you know, in the middle of the pack, this gets us a little closer to being on the right side of this issue. So again, I think it's a relatively straightforward yes for those of us who believe in full enfranchisement, which, um, yeah. you know, I didn't think that was as controversial as it is, uh, but 
glance around America and oh boy. Yeah. And then the other, the other props are prop 18 also for just voter enfranchisement in general. This is something where like, you know, I'm reading it. I'm like, Oh, this makes total sense. If you're 17 in the primary, if you're going to be 18 in the general, why not vote in the primary? So it would basically give 17 year olds the right to vote. Right. Makes total sense. Exactly. It's straightforward. It's the right thing to do. A lot of other states do it. Like we're not inventing the wheel on this one. Uh, And I, you know, again, I hope this is something that we can just like get done. Um, You Mm -hmm. know, I'm nervous about all of these just because California is a big state and so much of the air in the room is being taken up by our two geriatric, um, whatever, our, our terrible grandpa and our kind of bad grandpa. Um, but I hope that we can get these right and like do some real good. Like, like again, these props, like you look at them and you're like, Oh, we can prevent some really bad things from happening and we can do some really good towards the sort of things that prevent people like Trump from existing, like voter enfranchisement. Like if everybody had the right to vote meaningfully in America, Trump would be screwed. And he knows that that's why he's packed the Supreme court with radicals who want to disenfranchise as many people of color as possible. Like he knows that is existential for his movement, for the minority rule that he wants, which is white men running this country. We can undo some of that here in California. And I think it's our obligation to do so. Um, and to take it really seriously and like, you know, it's, it's a great opportunity for us to do that. So, so, I mean, we all, we all grew up like, you know, in LA, greater LA, in and around, we, you know, we all got like Valley bona fides, right? Like, how are you guys, I don't know if it's just cause I didn't pay close enough attention, like growing up, but like, I feel like at least working on this issue and like digging into some of the stuff on the ballot, figuring out like how it came together. Like, it does seem like this is some sort of like shift right like it like the thing that i kept hearing from activists right is that like the you know like la and california position itself as like this progressive sort of like bastion of like liberal policies right and like you know i think people throughout the country think of us that way um but like thus far like we haven't really lived up to that at least like not with our policies not legislatively so like this election feels different and i don't know if it's just because i'm paying more attention because i feel so much more desperate about like national politics but like do things feel different to you like having grown up here like what, what is your sense of it i think it absolutely does and i think something that we're seeing is a social consciousness in the population because i think the conservative divide is so stark right now like you can't Mm -hmm. when donald trump is the president you can't talk yourself into being conservative the same way you used to be able to and you know the valley was a hotbed of like frankly problematic school policy bordering on white supremacist school policy you know like that's where the anti-busing backlash came from in california was the valley a big locus for the tax rebel was the valley Like this all came from the Valley. And I think what you're seeing now is at the very least, even with like homeowners up in the Hills and Sherman Oaks, you know, I've been, I've been doing my due diligence and making some calls for Nithia and, and hearing from them. You're seeing people who at the very least, like are aware that something has gone wrong and that there needs to be some sort of change. And you know, you can you can view it through the lens of homelessness or these uprisings like like it's pretty clear that even in California where things are in many ways better, it's still not right and we still need to do yeah. more. And I I think that's real. And I think you're seeing it and I hope that there isn't a silent majority out there the way there had been in the past that 
that holds down some of these really crucial, again, common sense reforms that are on the ballot. Yeah. I mean, I think like obviously COVID has exposed that, you know, the economic crisis, like social and racial unrest, all of these things. And also just the fact that like, sorry, we have, you know, Joe Biden is our Democratic nominee against Trump. I think people are waking up to this reality that like Biden is not going to save us. I hope he saves us from Trump. Right. But like there's so many problems that that like won't be solved by this, right? That like Uber is pushing this prop because the government doesn't pay for our healthcare and companies, you know, like there's so many things that sort of tie into this. Like, um, I think just people are waking up to how, how wrong things have been. Yeah. And, you know, you can see it in the map, the electoral map of Los Angeles, where you had big chunks of it that had like big support for Bernie and Warren. And those are places that are like, you know, I live in CD13. Mitchell Farrell is my council person. He has been, other than Buscaino and John Lee, the most in support of criminalizing the unhoused of any of any council member in the area. And it's like, that doesn't line up. Those values don't line up. Something went awry in terms of our values and our elected leadership. And that's something that's got to get corrected. And it's going to take a lot of work to correct it because everyone is nominally a Democrat. But you're right, like that Joe Biden, Bernie divide and people feeling like, ooh, maybe we did this wrong. That's real in California yeah. to an extreme degree. Like I was looking into Garcetti's, like this is like a bailiwick of mine, but like his public safety deputy mayor is this guy, Jeff Garrell, who was a Republican assembly member in like uh, Ventura County back in the day. And like, if you like, there's video of him at Tea Party rallies in 2009 being like, get the government out of my business and all this stuff and like he is garcetti's deputy mayor of public safety like that's who we have elected like that's not right like that's not that does not speak to the city's values something is amiss and like and yeah it's gonna take a lot of work to fix it and it's time to start now and i i you know i'm amazed by the work you guys are doing like this zine is gonna rule connecting the draco situation of the jackie lacy election just rule like that's such a smart analysis like it's such a good idea and i'm so excited for what you guys are doing thank you so so much we're we're excited to it too we we just put out like our second issue a few months ago and honestly like we took a we took like a breath we had like one day where we went to a park and like had some white claws and right after that we were like shit like election's coming we gotta get to work like this is just too important not to so um we're stoked uh we love having your you know your guide to the ballot uh, it's gonna be on our website and in print Check out um, Knock LA. Tell us how to find Knock LA. Yeah, we are Knock.LA. If you just want to go straight to the voter guide, it's it's a bit.ly slash Knock 2020. That's like a real quick and easy way to get there. Perfect. Uh, we're on Twitter. Chris Roth, who's a local organizer, live tweet city council meetings. So if you want the real nitty gritty, dirty stuff to get into your Twitter Twitter feed, follow Knock <laughs> and get Chris Roth occasionally tweeting 75 times about like, what Mitch O'Farrell's dastardly plans are at any given moment. Man, he sucks. <laughs> yeah. There's no good side to Mitch O'Farrell. Like, he's, like, not even charming. He's, like, this weird, like, Ichabod Crane kind of, like, <laughs> like, like, a, like, a marionette puppet, like, traipsing around. I, I just, like, what is his deal? Like, He I was a cruise ship dancer. Oh. What? Really? Yeah, yeah, I knew that. Yeah, he's a cruise ship dancer from Oklahoma who weirdly got oh. into, like, I think he started as a field deputy under Garcetti and, like, sort of worked his way up when Garcetti was a city council member. And when Garcetti left the seat, he ran for it. 
Like I, the rumor is that Garcetti told him not to, and he did it anyway. And then, like one to be fair, if Garcetti tells you to do something, I would do the opposite. (laughs) So he actually did the right. I mean, he won. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That'll learn him. Uh, Yeah, uh, it's real bummer town here in CD13, and that he has declared that he's going to run again in 2022. So that's going to be a huge. So get ready for the March 2022 primary while you're at it. Brace yourself. It's going to be big. It's going to be big. Got two years to prepare. We'll see what's left of our our democracy. Just kidding. It'll be fine. Uh, Anyway, Spike, thank you so much for joining us. Go follow Knockout Land on socials. Go follow The Land Magazine. You can pre-order your copy of the scene now. Um, And follow Spike on Twitter. A A good Twitter follow. It was. Yeah, at Spike Friedman. Why not? The Land. And that's our show. Thanks again to Spike for coming on. I'm Jen Swan. This episode was hosted by myself and Jeff Weiss. It was edited and produced by Daniel Tovar, who I should say is not responsible for for how bad my audio sounded throughout. I apologize. Uh, Music is by Chester Watson. Um, Our print zine is out now. Order a copy on the website. And we've got a merch collab dropping very soon at Lock, Stock, and Barrel. Stay tuned. Go vote. See y'all next time. Do it. Do it.